0: Women's health needs, and especially our hormonal needs, are finally receiving the attention we've deserved for years. And Hormone Harmony, a new sponsor of Self Work, rates as one of the top five hormonal supplement companies out there. If you're a young woman struggling with that week before your period when moods can be all over the place, and I certainly don't miss that, or older when you're so glad menopause is here, but if you're like me, you sometimes stare at yourself in the mirror and ask, where did I go? Hormone Harmony has become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media, and a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Basically, if you breathe in and out slowly twice, that's the amount of time it takes for one more woman to understand she can reach out for help, no matter what her age, through Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code SELFWORK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code SELFWORK for 15% off today. This is SELFWORK, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At SELFWORK, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and SELFWORK is a podcast dedicated to you, taking just a few minutes today for SELFWORK. Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret. Welcome to my fourth podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about perfectly hidden depression again. I talked about it for the first time on podcast three. We identified the characteristics of perfectly hidden depression. There was a questionnaire you could take to see if you actually could identify with it yourself. In this podcast, however, we're going to talk about what you can do about it. So first, we'll briefly define perfectly hidden depression once more. We're going to go through the characteristics again very briefly. And the third thing we're going to do is talk about six major steps in actually confronting or coping with perfectly hidden depression. The last thing we'll do, we'll hear from a reader who wrote me an email saying that his wife definitely suffers with perfectly hidden depression and he doesn't know what to do to support her. So I gave him some ideas and I'll share them with you. So, the first thing we need to talk about is what is perfectly hidden depression? It's not a diagnosis. You're not going to find it anywhere in any diagnostic manual. It's a term I coined about two and a half years ago when I sat down to write a weekly post and was thinking about some of the people I'd been working with through the years that had such significant trouble engaging with their more painful emotions. Sadness, shame, fear, disappointment, anger. They really struggled to engage with those feelings, to express them to me. And they would actually sort of smile when they were talking about things that were maybe even traumatic in their lives. So that's perfectly hidden depression. I've heard it called smiling depression. I've heard it called high-functioning depression. Perfectly hidden depression is just my term for it because I think there is a strong quality of perfectionism that runs through people with PhD or perfectly hidden depression. So let's briefly go through the characteristics Number one is perfectionism with a constant critical inner voice. Number two, heightened or excessive sense of responsibility. Number three, difficulty with accepting and expressing painful emotions. Number four, worry and or the need for control over her environment. Number five, an intense focus on tasks using accomplishment as a way to feel valuable. Number six, Active concern about the well-being of others while not allowing anyone into their inner world. Number seven, trouble with acknowledging hurt or abuse from the past or the present. They discount or dismiss those. Number eight, there are accompanying mental health issues that involve control or escape from anxiety. That would be like eating disorders, obsessive compulsive traits, addictions, that kind of thing. Number nine is a strong belief in counting your blessings as the foundation of well-being. Again, many of these characteristics are not bad in and of themselves, but they're overused. They're rigidly employed in order to keep depression under wraps. Number 10, intimate relationships may be difficult, but are accompanied by professional success. These people are doers, shakers, movers. They don't look depressed like like the depressed man in the commercial that's sitting on the floor and doesn't want to walk his dog. These people do not look like that. If you want to hear a little bit more in depth about the characteristics, just hop on over and listen to podcast number three, where I go into more detail as to what these characteristics actually look like in real life. So now we're going to talk about the six major steps in confronting perfectly hidden depression. But I want us to remember that the major goal of someone who has perfectly hidden depression is to learn how to listen to their inner emotions and do that honestly. So the first step, if you listen to podcast number three, you've already done. (laughs) And that is identification, which means you're going to confront your denial. You're going to figure out what the underlying issues are in all of those characteristics I'll give you an example from my practice. I had a woman come in who said she was a shopaholic, that that was her problem. But as we began looking at her life and her issues, she was buying and then returning many, many items on a daily basis because she had no other control in her life. She was in a very dominating relationship where she was the submissive one. In buying, she really just was trying to exert some kind of control. Once she realized that, she didn't buy anything anymore because she had realized what was really wrong. So when you identify yourself with, let's say, seven or eight of the ten characteristics that we just listed, you realize that you're creating those, maintaining those, believing those because they help you deny the way you really feel, whether those feelings have emerged from past trauma or if there's something in your present that's very troubling I actually had someone on The Huffington Post talk about, well, this is just a bunch of psychological mumbo jumbo for denial. Well, I don't think it's psychological mumbo jumbo. and the reason why identification is the number one step is because it is in that realization that aha moment of you mean these things that I do that I just say, well, this is me i'm I'm very responsible. I'm I don't talk about myself much. Yeah, I'm perfectionistic. Yes, I so strongly believe in counting my blessings that I don't even let myself feel sad or tired or afraid. You mean those things could be destructive to me? It is that aha moment, like I said before, that it hits someone that these things that they've just been doing over and over and over again all their lives to emotionally cope could be harmful to them. There's a funny story that I've heard long, long ago about a ham and a woman who was a granddaughter but a grown woman was cooking ham and she cut off the end of it and her husband said why did you cut off the end of the ham and she said you know i don't know my mother always cut off the end of the ham so she went to her mother and said mom why, why do you cut off the end of the ham and her mother said i don't know my mother always cut off the, <laughs> cut it off so i've just done it all these years i watched her so both of them went to the grandmother she started laughing she said I cut off the end of the ham because when I was first learning to cook ham, I didn't have a pot big enough for the ham to go in. (laughs) So obviously, sometimes we're repeating behaviors that we've seen, observed, learned, told that's what we should act like, and we're doing them without really much intention or thought. They've just become who we are. So many of these characteristics... A perfectly hidden depression are things that when you really look what could perhaps be underneath them, it can be very revealing. So let's talk about the second step. And I call it, speaking of revealing, I call it risking the reveal. That means that you look around for someone in your world, someone that you say, you know, there's just something about them that I trust. Of course, it could be a therapist, but it also could be your partner, a friend, there's something about them that I trust and I believe that I could share with them some of who I really am on the inside, some of my experiences, perhaps secrets that I've never told anyone, but there's just something about that person that I can trust. I've been interviewing people who have emailed me and volunteered to help with my research. I ask each one of them if they told, if they're in therapy or if someone in their world knows who they really are. I said, but What brought you to finally tell? And what they always tell me are three things. The loneliness got to be unbearable. The exhaustion was staggering. And very tragically, they started either having suicidal thoughts or they actually attempted suicide. I've talked to more than one person, and this is going to sound dramatic, but it's actually true. Two of the people I talked to had guns in their mouths when suddenly they just decided, no, I'm not going to do this. But they came that close. And they're the people that if they had actually been successful in their suicide attempt, others would be shaking their heads, saying, What happened? I just saw him last week and he was great. They're the people that commit suicide who no one knows why they did it. It's so important to risk revealing yourself. And that's the second step. The third step I call unhooking from irrational beliefs. What are the rules that are governing your life? The I must always or I can nevers. Some of them I've heard from my interviewees are, I don't talk about what's going on with me. Or nobody needs to know my business. Or you must always put your best foot forward. And a biggie, I must do what others need me to do to make them happy. And those others could be a mother, children, the community. The list can go on and on. Now, a general reaction from my suggestion to unhook from irrational beliefs is this. Well, if I focus on me, if I do what I want to do, that's selfish. That's self-centered. I'm making it all about me. I hope you hear that they've gone from completely self-sacrificial stance to believing that any focus on their own needs, their own wants, their own painful feelings is selfish. It is not. It's simply Unfamiliar to these people. They have learned whether they were in a situation in their childhood that warranted it, whether they watched another parent or they were actually never allowed to express painful emotions. They have learned that their painful feelings aren't worthy of attention. So, my strong recommendation and the third step is to begin to challenge these beliefs and unhook from them. We do this all the time as children. We learn from our parents what they believe the best thing is. And then we go out into our own world and sort of decide for ourselves. Maybe you were taught that a certain way of believing or having a spiritual life is one way and you get to be an adult and you decide that you want your spiritual life to be something different. Maybe you were told never to wear white after Labor Day. (laughs) And so you decided, heck, I'm going to wear white. I don't care. From the sublime to the ridiculous, we all begin to form our own opinions and thoughts. But people with perfectly hidden depression have a very entrenched set of beliefs that doesn't put them in the center of their being and their thoughts. So their loneliness creeps up on them through the years and can truly do damage. The fourth step in addressing perfectly hidden depression is sort of metaphorical, or I use a metaphor to try to explain it. And that's the concept of the glass being half full. The fourth step is connecting with the part of the glass that's half empty. If you think about it, a glass is by definition half full and half empty. But people with perfectly hidden depression are only comfortable swimming around in the half full side, as I like to say. What that means is they're always looking at the bright side of life, which is great. Monty Python made it famous. But what happens is when that's the only way of living that you have that you are comfortable with that you feel okay about, you're always upbeat, you're always optimistic, you're always the one shouldering the responsibility, then that can be very stagnating. So what people do is they use a psychological technique or skill, really. It's an ego skill. It's called compartmentalization. And what compartmentalization is is simply that if something bad happens or you have something from your past that's painful, that you put it in a box A mental box, you close the lid of the mental box, and you put it in your emotional closet that no one can get in but you. And we all do this. I remember last year, my dog died, who I dearly loved, but I had eight patients waiting for me, so I had to compartmentalize my pain. We all do that every day, every week, every year. It's an ego skill. What perfectly hidden depressed people do, however, is they rigidly over-compartmentalize. They use that skill over and over and over again to the point that really it can get to be the only way they have of handling pain. They get rid of it, or they think they do. The only problem is that it's sitting there in that box waiting for them, and it is having an effect on them whether they realize it or not. Perhaps I should say right now that the difference between treatment of classic depression and perfectly hidden depression is really vast. In people with classic depression, you're trying to get them to engage in life outside of themselves. Their life has become very small. They don't do what they used to really enjoy doing. And so treatment for classic depression is helping someone take maybe steps to begin to connect and engage and enjoy their external world. Of course, you're also doing some healing of inner turmoil or despair at the same time. A huge part of the treatment is to help people care and connect with their world. So what you do with perfectly hidden depression is exactly the opposite in many ways. You're trying to get the patient or the person to begin to connect with what's going on inwardly. And it's not familiar, it's not easy. In fact, it's very hard because when you have used this compartmentalization technique so many times in your lifetime, you can actually forget how to express pain. It's so foreign to you that it seems almost impossible. This may be the hardest step in treatment of perfectly hidden depression because this one can take some time. But when you think about it, what do we need to know that we can do? We need to know that we can tolerate pain because pain's inevitable. Loss is inevitable. Hopefully joy is there as well. But you have a sense of competence when you know that when pain rolls around, you can handle it. I think, in fact, that that's very connected with suicidal thoughts because the pain becomes so intolerable and they don't know what to do with it that suicide becomes much more of an option. If this is you, please realize that you can develop this competence it just takes, again, confronting some of those beliefs, being open and more vulnerable, and beginning to allow yourself to feel. I've had many, many people tell me, if I start to cry, I'll never stop crying, or I'll be overwhelmed by what I'm feeling. And yes, it is overwhelming at first. No doubt about it. But it eases, and it gets easier to feel those feelings. I've watched it happen many times. The fifth step Is not as much of a step as it is a realization that this whole process is somewhat circular. I call the step how not to backslide. And what I mean by that is when you begin to recognize a belief that is part of this rigid over compartmentalization, that you work on that one and you work with a set of feelings that come with that work, and then you feel better. You recognize, oh, okay, I really can do this. I can talk to somebody. I can identify the beliefs. And the rules that are governing my life, if they're irrational, I can start trying to change those beliefs by doing thought replacement and meditation and exercise, whatever, whatever things I need to do to jumble my mind up a little bit and to question what I'm really thinking. And then I can deal with the feelings that are associated with that change. But then you kind of have to do it over. And what I mean by that is, as you get better, you'll actually realize more and more Of these irrational or unhealthy attitudes and beliefs that you have, and then you begin to change them slowly. The interesting thing is that remember, you have a family, and that family or your friends have gotten quite accustomed to you being overly responsible, not taking care of yourself very well. You've got people in the community who are very used to you holding up your hand and saying, I'll do it. And so when you begin changing those things, you can get a little bit of resistance. But you have to recognize that in order to change these patterns, there are going to be some people who are going to have to change along with you. Again, if you share with them what you're doing and what being perfectly hidden was doing to you, and they really care about you, I'm sure that they'll realize, okay, we can do this. It's just different than it's always been. It helps to make friendships with people that help you stay honest with yourself, that have known your past pattern and are willing to help you and remind you when you're slipping back into it. The last step is really self-acceptance. It's more of a goal than a step, but it's important to talk about. Andrew Solomon, who is an eloquent writer about depression, wrote, The opposite of depression isn't happiness, it's vitality. Well, if I do my own take on his statement, I would say the opposite of perfectly hidden depression is self-acceptance, accepting your vulnerability, accepting your pain, accepting that it's okay that others know who you really are, accepting that you can only have a certain amount of control over what happens and you can tolerate your fear, accepting that you don't have to carry around shame that's only burdening you more and more with every day. You know, acceptance is not resignation. When you resign yourself to something, you say, oh, well, that's just me. Okay, I'm not going to do anything about that. Acceptance is, okay, this is present in my life. I can accept that fact. But it doesn't mean I don't want to change it or tweak it or alter it in some way. Acceptance is actually a very empowered place to be. So let's do a recap. The six steps are identification, risking the reveal, unhooking, from irrational beliefs. Connecting with a glass half empty. The fifth is how not to backslide. And the sixth is self acceptance. Now, again, these are basic steps. I'm currently writing a book that will go into much more detail about every step and what I've seen people work through, what I've learned from them, and can hopefully pass on to you. So, finally, what we're going to do at the end of this podcast, I'm going to read you an email. That I received, oh, I received two three months ago. Dear Dr. Margaret, I just read your post on the perfectly hidden depressed person. My wife sent it to me. She has never mentioned these problems to me before, but she now opens up about this, and she sent me your link and said, this is me. I have to admit, it describes her perfectly. As a husband, I obviously want to be her main supporting pillar, but right now I feel clueless. Where do I start and how? any tips would be appreciated. Well, first off, I thanked him and commended him for his attitude of wanting to help and wanting to be a pillar. I thought that was an interesting word. But then I went on to say, it's very hard when you are partnered with someone to have the objectivity to really help them. So I would encourage you to encourage her to find a therapist. Maybe y'all In fact, it would probably be a good idea for you to go together because just like we were talking a few minutes ago, family unintentionally can often have their own agenda about someone staying hyper-responsible. So I would encourage her to go into therapy and I would encourage both of you to look at characteristics of your marriage that perhaps are helping her, again, unintentionally stay in a painful place. And my third recommendation was to simply listen. Many times when a couple comes in and I ask them, so why are you here? They say, we don't communicate. And so often what they really don't know how to do is listen. Listen without an agenda. When you do that, it's incredibly powerful. So we've reached the end of this podcast. I want to remind you that I have been blogging since very late 2012 and I have lots of posts on Perfectly Hidden Depression that go into things in a little more detail. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com, and I will answer you. I'd also love for you to rate and review this podcast and send me any ideas you might have or desires you might have for podcast topics. You can send me those ideas Again, via email. In fact, that's already begun happening. Or you can simply comment. You can comment on iTunes. Also, I would love for you to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Whether you're driving, walking, cooking, cleaning, or just relaxing and listening to a podcast, I really appreciate it that you chose this one. Thanks so very much. This is Dr. Margaret, and you've just listened to Self Work.